Hello everyone, welcome to Mastermind.fm. This is Jean Galea and with me today I have Mario Peshev from Devricks. Um, Mario is the founder of this um, highly regarded WordPress agency. They specialize in enterprise clients and also SaaS. So we'll be covering these two topics, but also other stuff in this episode. So do hang on and listen to the show till the very end. And without further ado, Mario, welcome to mastermind.fm. Uh, thanks for having me. So for the people out there who might not know you, I guess there aren't many. You've been very active in where it comes and the community so far over many years. But for those who don't know what, what you do, can you share your experience and your journey in WordPress so far? Yeah, sure. Uh, I do run Devrix. It's a team of about 30 people right now building uh, high-scale WordPress applications. We do profile in uh, uh, building long-term retainer relationships with our customers. Um, I've been active in the WordPress core in various areas. And, uh, you know, my background is actually in uh, engineering high-scale applications in different industries such as uh, Java Enterprises, uh, Python for Telecoms and other areas prior to joining the WordPress field. Uh, additionally, I do spend a lot of time on uh, management and building marketing and growth strategies nowadays. So uh, I try to kind of wear different hats on a day-to-day -day basis and combine different skills of mine for better results for some of our customers. Mm, okay, this is something that I've noticed that you do very well, you know, mixing the marketing or business side of things with the technical side. Yeah. And I haven't seen many people doing it. I was wondering how you keep up with both words. <laughs> well, thanks, it's, it's appreciated, but you know, you are very well versed in all those areas as well. So uh, I'm pretty sure that you can really relate to this one. Yeah, but uh, I think like in my case, it's uh, been more, I had to kind of shift from the technical side of things to business in the past few years. So I was wondering actually how, how you do find the time to develop and uh, do the keep up with things on the, on the marketing and business side. Right. So essentially, I do try to, so most of my development efforts are really uh, organized around building architectures and high-scale frameworks and, uh, you know, scalability, performance optimization, security, and things like that. Uh, for the most part, I do take part only in the higher-end activities or uh, debugging or solving more complex problems. So the benefit of that is that I don't really have to deal with the day-to-day -day operations of building uh, kind of standard solutions or things that uh, most of the developers are really uh, already acquainted with. And the moment I actually have to join a specific project internally or, uh, or take a, a part of a specific component is usually the part that's more complicated or depends on different activities that I have dealt with during my enterprise years, mm -hmm. uh, which kind of allows me to uh, focus my efforts and actually, you know, spend the rest of the time on business activities, onboarding sales, marketing, and uh, uh, other stuff that's not purely uh, development oriented. All right, very interesting. And uh, so we've got a lot of people in our audience who are actually running agencies or are freelancing with the hope of running an agency in the future. So it would be interesting if we could get kind of your journey from, I, I imagine you are freelancing in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And, and then how, how you moved on to creating an agency based out of Bulgaria, in your case, although you're distributed uh, as long as far as my understanding goes. And, you know, if there are any challenges in being based outside the US or anything like that, 
and how you manage at a remote team basically right well so you know when i started i i did try to take care of some you know consulting and uh, freelancing aspects while i was uh, uh, working in a java company so i was uh, doing some business on the side uh that was actually somewhere around the the financial recession in 2008 uh, so uh, back then I decided to kind of start my own venture and work for myself because I said, you know, if, if I can make it work uh, at the toughest time of the kind of human population when, it, when we are talking about the economical time, uh, then everything else is going to be far easier. Uh, so that was an interesting experiment, uh, you know, those uh, year or two between 2008 and say 2010, depending on uh, how you count it, uh, were incredibly tough. Uh, there was a lack of you know business opportunities and sales opportunities and kind of working on specific projects it was you know everyone's been through the recession so we all remember it uh but essentially since i managed to hustle enough and make it work for for that amount of time everything got way better right after the recession uh which was a suitable time to kind of start hiring and you know hiring i uh hired my uh, first colleague Stanko, who's been working with us for uh, six and a half years or so, maybe close to seven now. Uh, and uh, we started growing the team uh, bit by bit, first off working with some freelancers, uh, then adding you know, one person here, one in that department, then hiring some of the freelancers and so forth, until we got, got to a you know, specific point of time where we were able to start hiring more intensively. Um, in terms of uh, building the business, we are indeed distributed. Um, right now we have people in seven or eight different countries. Uh, recently we started hiring more uh, locally, to be honest, simply because a good chunk of our business is uh, related to maintenance, uh, or, well, not really maintenance, but kind of supporting higher scale websites. So we just needed uh, to keep some uh, confidential data in-house and, and make sure that people can work really closely in order to maintain everything in a proper manner. Uh, simply because miscommunication was quite challenging for uh, when working with high-scale uh, enterprise customers. So, so yeah, uh, with regards to the to the sales and uh, business needs, uh, we we really like since we are distributed. First off, we have never really worked locally. We we have had very few local clients, uh, in fact, and uh, the vast majority of our efforts were actually related to partnerships and uh, collaboration with different US companies. Uh, that includes, you know, uh, from freelance activities to talking at conferences, writing of different blogs and so forth, sim simply because the, the vast majority of the IT world is uh, kind of more developed and running more rapidly in the US market. And uh, in our case, in the WordPress context, uh, context sorry, context, uh, the, the majority of uh, the WordPress efforts are also happening in the US. Uh, so it only made sense that we had to be more adjusted to the US time zone simply because, again, most of the contributing efforts are there. Uh, you know, Automati has a lot of influence over the WordPress core. Uh, and again, it's uh, based out of the US. The largest WordCamp until recently was also WordCamp US and so forth. Well, San Francisco. Uh, and it, again, I mean, at some point of time when working during US uh, hours and being used to the culture of US people, it wasn't really hard to kind of get lending more and more and more business uh, in across the sea. And so are you still focused majorly on the US right now? Well. 
I would say I would say yes, um, even though we do have clients. I mean, the vast majority of our clients are in the US or Canada. We do have several in Europe. Uh, we have a major client in Thailand. Uh, we we have had clients in the Arab world, uh, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and, and other places. So we've also had clients from Australia. Uh, so that said, we are not really uh, limited just to just to the states. It it just happens to be a bit easier for several different reasons. I would say that the main reason is uh, uh, the the type of stuff that we do. Uh, again, most. The vast majority of the services that we do provide are related to high-scale uh, solutions to enterprises, migrations, performance issues, and whatnot. Uh, and it's much easier to get that in the US, as all of the projects are uh, English-based. The population of the US is about 350 million people. And then you have quite a lot of other markets that are English-speaking from uh, the UK and Australia, Canada, uh, to India and other large areas with, uh, mm -hmm. with you know, just being able to participate in those efforts leading to high-traffic websites, leading to clients contacting us to help them in the long run. So that said, this is one of the main reasons we are, uh, again, focusing on the US market, so to speak. But other than that, we do get very interesting inquiries from uh, other types of clients uh, across the world, and we really don't limit them from uh, working yeah. with us if there is a good fit. All right. So my understanding now is that you have like a hybrid approach between local office and a distributed workforce. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. It's more uh, kind of semi-distributed. Until until half a year ago or so, it was uh, only about twenty percent in in our office. Now it's probably closer to thirty percent. So it's it's a bit more uh, condensed uh, locally. And going back to the enterprise scene, for someone who has an agency and is maybe struggling to get higher budget clients and wants to move into the enterprise space, what would be your advice? And like, how do you make the transition? And what does the transition actually involve? You know, right. That's a great question. Um, that's that's actually one of my favorite topics and i'm going to share a few links with you after the after the podcast mm -hmm. uh but essentially there isn't uh, that much difference between a small client and an enterprise enterprise client in terms of working together uh except obviously for the quality of work so if uh, small agencies and uh, freelancers and consultants are really very well skilled and understand in depth the, the technology, the platform, the languages, everything that they're using, uh, there is no reason not to apply for working with an enterprise contract if that's what they're, they need. Um, like, again, I mean, we know what happens in the WordPress space, uh, probably over 90, if not over 95% of the service providers are mainly you know site builders or uh, converting designs to simple wordpress themes or just uh, you know customizing settings and adjusting plugin options and whatnot so that's not really something that the enterprise needs but for everyone else who does actually specialize in say uh, professional development or user experience uh, you know user experience or uh, even high scale front end development uh, professional javascript in the backbone react js context or whatnot uh, there's uh, you know a, a lot of need for professionalism in the enterprise context uh, and uh, consultants and smaller agencies can easily apply with the right credentials, portfolio, understanding, experience for solving enterprise problems uh, for high-end corporations. 
now the the caveat again is that this should be approached so that again that there's the the combination between the technical well the you know technical or ux or whatever service skills and then the marketing and sales skills on the other end so experts first off should be very well acquainted with what they do and have expertise in other high-end scenarios and uh, situations and at the same time be able to transfer and translate that knowledge in a language that's uh, really easier to grasp for business people which means actually solving problems talking in percentages talking in case studies in uh, uh, specific scenarios and examples and how how the specific service offering actually solve the problem for a uh, higher scale business mm. and in fact i was going through your website earlier and i noticed that uh, i think you have a page about SaaS, which we'll talk about in a minute and one of the things that like jumped out at me was the fact that you are mentioning metrics all the time or yeah. mm-hmm. like we help you grow your business we mm. help you actually consult you on how you can actually reach your revenue make this profitable mm-hmm. um, make a product that's uh what's it called the like the the minimum viable product and you know these kind of things which is not usual for me to see on a development uh agency's website you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but i found that very interesting how important do you think that is to attracting enterprise clients uh extremely important um again there's uh so most of the time, because we do spend a lot of time actually researching the market and all the other agencies and service providers and whatnot. So uh, for the most part, we do see two types of service providers. The first one is marketing agencies that have also started providing WordPress websites. And for the most part, they use you know, a premium theme or just providing a design and then installing a bunch of plugins, which is, again, fine for small businesses and even some mid-sized businesses but not really for high-scale businesses that require a lot of security uh, a lot of performance optimization scalability on uh, in the cloud uh, additional performance database layers and whatnot so this is this is one side this is the marketing slash design creative ui seo advertising agencies Uh, some of those are in fact our partners you know they they happen to lend large clients clients are unhappy with performance or something and then they contact us and say hey we need help on the technical end so so that that's kind of the one of the ends the other end is uh technical agencies you know software development shops i would say uh that have no uh practical expertise in sales and marketing and it's funny because again uh on one end we have the people who can get the client and they can actually convince the client and on the other end we have the, the people who can solve the problems of the enterprise client right and it's actually funny so what we're trying to do is kind of build the hybrid approach where uh, we have the capacity we have the resource we have the skills to solve the enterprise problems but we also need to explain it in a decent and reliable and understanding manner for a business client uh, which requires, again, building uh, the so-called buyer persona in the inbound marketing world. We need to know who our customer is, what's their profile, what kind of education, background and portfolio do they have, how technically versed they are and so forth. And then talking in their specific language. Uh, this is this is kind of, you know, the, the best way for us to combine the, the marketing part of things with our technical uh, solutions and explain how the technical work that we're going to do or creative or whatsoever is going to impact the business for someone who isn't really uh, tech-verse. So like to me, hearing you speak about all these different aspects of dealing with enterprise clients, 
it doesn't seem so easy to be honest so <laughs> i like if i had to be listening to this episode and i would be running an agency dealing with non-enterprise clients at this point i would be feeling a bit discouraged um so maybe what we can do sharing your experience what we can maybe outline is the steps from moving towards like a, a non-enterprise focused agency to enterprise what are the requirements really because you, you've spoken about like security the need to have an office which a normal agency would not necessarily need and even tech in terms of number of people i guess because in, in order to do all the research that you do while while keeping the technical side intact you have to have a number of people one man cannot do everything for sure right so there's some i guess scaling that has to be done in the background as well um so it, it depends um about 10 years ago i was doing consulting for telecoms and i was uh you know single person just doing sole job and uh you know, working with enterprise, consulting them on specific areas of work that I really do specialize at. Uh, so that said, even a single person can easily work with enterprise with, again, the right way of selling himself or herself. But as for a small agency that need to uh, work with, you know, higher-end clients, again, what I would say is, first off, they really need to specialize in something and be very good at um, Again, the, the most of the cases that I can think of are people who are who do understand a lot of things but don't really specialize in a specific thing, which is a problem for enterprises. Enterprises really need um, expertise in a specific field and you know a good background and track record of successful projects. But let's consider that someone is an expert in their field and really know their stuff. Uh, the next step is uh, trying to connect with the enterprise which can happen through different cases. This could be, uh, you know, through business events, through conferences, just going to industry trade shows or, uh, you know, marketing slash business conference and so forth, uh, checking with contacts, with peers, with colleagues, with even with family, trying to, to make a contact on a personal level through an introduction. Uh, and uh, again, trying to, trying to think as the client in the first place. You know, what's my ideal enterprise client? Where do they hang out? Uh, what's the best way to kind of reach to them and make the initial contact? It could be, you know, Google uh, communities, could be LinkedIn groups, could be, you know, simple advertisement somewhere that's targeting that type of clients. Most of the time, it's actually offline events, like, again, trade shows or something else. Uh, but that's kind of the first thing. And then, of course, uh, you can also do the pitching part. You know, you can partner up with uh, other agencies who work with enterprises and need to complement their skills with what you offer. For example, if you do offer development services, uh, you can... Uh, you know, build partnerships with advertising SEO creative agencies who work with enterprises but don't provide development, right? So it makes sense for them to upsell your services and use you as a consultant or a partner agency that's going to provide the, the other element of things. For example, when we have started working with, uh, well, you know, one of the largest automotive manufacturers in the world, uh, we have initiated that partnership through the branding agency working with them, right? Uh, they were providing branding and creative uh, and design work, but they weren't providing, you know, hardcore development. So they reached out to us through guest posting efforts and through conference talks and others and said, hey, we are pitching, you know, for a technical project. We don't have the expertise. We are looking for a long-term partner that can, you know, build that for us. So we have won the project together 
and uh, built the project and are still doing maintenance for them uh, you know over a year after delivering the project mm. All right, that's a lot of practical tips for someone who wants to make the leap. Uh, you mentioned these uh, conferences and trade shows. Are there any in particular that you could mention? Uh, I couldn't say any in particular simply because it really depends on the on the vertical, and that's uh, that's actually a good reminder. Uh, simply because other specific uh, specific agencies can really specialize and. Uh, you know, become experts in a certain niche. And that niche may be comprised of two different areas. The first one may be a technical niche, you know, a specific vertical within the WordPress space. And the second one can be a niche within the business world. By the first, uh, the first spectrum, I do uh, refer to companies that are proficient in, say, you know, WooCommerce extensions or, uh, say, BuddyPress development and building high-scale networks or, uh, any type of sub, uh, you know, sub community within the WordPress world that provides specific solutions for specific uh, types of clients. Right? Again, could be community, could be e-commerce, could be learning management systems, could be security, could be something else within the WordPress space. That's that's on one end. The other end is um, uh, kind of specializing and working with specific verticals. Uh, for example, you know, restaurants, coffee shops, like by restaurants, you can think of, say, happy tables or so, coffee shops or, uh, you know, certain warehouses or clothing shops or uh, magazines, uh, legal uh, firm, law firms, uh, dentist offices, and so on and so on and so on. So both could really be utilized in order to get uh, access to specific enterprise clients simply because through small clients, you can get the portfolio needed for enterprise to notice you. As an example, uh, we we do work with a lot of. Uh, well, I'm going to give give two quick examples. The first one is we do specialize in software as a services on top of WordPress and high scale multi uh, multi site projects on top of WordPress. So this is our kind of technical niche. And on the other end, we did uh, we did bid for a client uh, a few years ago, uh, and the, even though we were more technically versed and everything like that, it was for a pet clinic shop or something. Uh, they picked another provider which was a very small non-technical agency simply because they had done a couple of projects for pet shelters or uh, you know uh, like treating pet or something something else in the pet community right so they picked this uh, service provider simply because of their understanding of the business model not their you know technical skills or creative skills or whatnot so those are two good examples for something where you know, people can specialize. And to answer your question, given the context, depending on where people specialize, they can identify the clients that are, you know, most suited to meeting them or, and, you know, what, what are the most appropriate meetups and conferences and uh, other trade shows that are topical and uh, focus on that kind of subject. Awesome. Great advice. Um, on the site, let's let's talk about multi-site and SaaS then. Mm -hmm. Uh, and starting from multi-site, what are like the most likely scenarios when multi-site would be most ideal for your clients? So we do we do have certain clients. So that's a great question. We do have uh, certain clients that simply have multi-sites uh, within a, a given organization, right? Uh, that's usually multi-sites with several hundred sites or a thousand, two thousand websites. 
then we do have some uh, university or high school networks, which may be smaller, maybe much larger, simply because, for example, all students within a class uh, need to have a website, and then we, you have a lot of classes in a certain department, and then the department is part of a network of departments within an organization, and so forth. So this may actually be, again, thousands of subsites or even over 10,000 subsites. Uh, sometimes uh, we do have um, franchise-driven business. Uh, right now we do have two multi-sites that we are maintaining in that area uh, you know uh, you have a core multi-site setup that uh, has you know a I'm going to simplify it, but it has a theme that should adhere to specific uh, corporate branding standards you know the corporate identity uh, so all subsites need to look alike with minor you know changes that subsite owners can change uh, for themselves while not violating the corporate policy. I'm going to use McDonald's as an example. Uh, obviously, when you open a website of McDonald's everywhere across the world, you want to recognize the brand. You know, you want it to be alike. You want the, the color scheme to be the same. You want the logo to be the same and everything. Even if it's in a different language, even if it's, you know, everything, you just need to see that most things stay alike and look uh, the same in every McDonald's website across the world. So the franchising model is one of the, those places. Uh, and obviously we also have multi, uh, sorry, software as a service applications that may benefit from uh, being built on top of a multi-site installation. Yeah, so transitioning into SaaS apps. Um, I, I understand that you build SaaS apps based on WordPress, right? Yeah, correct. So tell us about some of the projects that you, you've built as a SaaS. And you know, what are, I, I'd love to know if somebody had to build a SaaS, what are like the basic building blocks that right. they have to keep in mind? Right. Um, so for the most part, again, due to non-disclosure agreements, we can't really talk a lot about that, but uh, I'm going to kind of sum them up. We have started uh, initially several years ago uh, working with um, a couple of clients in the marketing space. Uh, so what they wanted from us is uh, help them build you know, several different platforms for customers who are mainly using Facebook as a promotion uh, platform, right? So what we built was, uh, you know, we kind of built a solution which uh, was providing different kind of, you know, interactive content, say, you know, uh, polls or meme generators or, uh, you know, other types of interactive content which could be integrated into a Facebook page, right? But when you talk about a Facebook page, then you say, okay, let's take it a step further. Let's integrate into a tab, right? Uh, then you say, okay, but you know, that kind of tab should be interactive. So let, let's start, you know, making games for Facebook. And then, okay, let's start kind of getting into more tracking. Let's start integrate e-commerce within a Facebook tab, within an iframe so that people can actually shop through Facebook. And then you say, okay, but you know, we actually need to get, you know, all that, you know, tracking all transactions and stuff like that. So let's get an engine that can track likes and shares and registers and purchases and everything like that. So, you know, you kind of start with a solution that gets more and more and more and more complicated. And then you also want to scale it so that it, it could be something where people can easily sign up and purchase, a, you know, their own version of a website. So once we started, we really built the MVP first. And then we said, okay, it makes more sense to actually build it as a multi-site, right? And we built the core engine for, you know, building the, the actual business feature, uh, working on a single site, and then again adjusted it so that it can work on multi-site. 
what was left to be implemented uh, were essentially two things. The first off was the billing engine that allowed for uh, you know billing through PayPal, through Stripe, this and that, and controlling levels and controlling roles and controlling different you know themes and plugins active for each subsite, right? So that again you may have a free tier of that plan, get a subsite very simple feature only you know being able to place it in two facebook pages but then another plan allows you to get more complex features for 10 pages and then another plan allows you to get you know stats and conversions and this and that facebook pixels and whatnot for 100 pages and then a top tier vip plan that allows you to i don't know you know uh get specific games embedded and sharing and this and that so that amount of granular control through roles and permissions and different payment plans for different time intervals was kind of the most complicated thing uh, you know that we actually had to deal with but the good part is that this engine that we took was uh, easily reproducible in a couple more multi-sites for the same client so we were able to generate you know six figures within a year or something from that solution uh, and then you know that was recurring for a few more years with actually growing traffic for our customer traffic and sales um, from then on, we we were uh, happy to work on several other software as a service applications, uh, and uh, the last one that we have actually built was uh, my store locator plus, which is my dot Hopefully, that's not a you know uh, unsolicited advertisement, <laughs> but this is our latest solution that uh, we have built in cooperation with uh, the author of the store locator plus plugin for WordPress. And it's actually a self-hosted solution uh, that allows for integrating maps with a ton of different options, with search filters for uh, ranges and the closest shop for something and whatnot, uh, for a lot of different types of businesses. And uh, the reason we had to build it was uh, the fact that there were a lot of inquiries from non-WordPress services and non-WordPress businesses that said, hey, I love this feature, I need it for my website, but I don't use WordPress. Uh, so right now we do take care of that kind of customers that are not using WordPress and additionally we do make sure that performance and security are really top of the world simply because we have access to our own infrastructure in order to introduce the latest you know, performance uh, algorithms so that things run way faster as compared to getting that hosted on your own generic hosting. That's very interesting. So from my end as a plugin developer, I'd love to know how that came about. Is it you who get these client requests and go to the plugin developer and propose a partnership? Or is it the plugin developer himself who comes to you? Um, it's it's uh, It works both ways. Uh, I mean, it depends on what kind of stage is that um, plugin author at, at the moment, right? Uh, we do have two software as a service applications pending right now. Uh, having said, we've been discussing the approach for a couple of months with the plugin authors. But in the case of MyStoreLocator Plus, uh, we I actually saw a conversation on Twitter from the plugin author and said, hey, we specialize in SaaS, let's talk. Uh, so then we met at uh, WordCamp US, I think, and you know had a discussion, had a good conversation and started working right, right after the event. Um, but essentially, again, some of our some of our customers who've been selling plugins in the WordPress space, we've had that conversation already, uh, and we are trying to think of a you know cost-effective way to to build a software as a resolution, uh, so that you know it, it doesn't really require a six-figure investment upfront before it starts generating some good uh, ROI. All right, it's very interesting. So I can say that from our end. Um 
we have been thinking about doing SaaS applications mm. and converting our existing plugins into SaaS or expanding at least. Mm. But our major stumbling block is not having the right expertise to do something like that ourselves. But it's very interesting to know that there are people in, in the WordPress space who are catering specifically for this uh, conversion from plugins to SaaS, which I think will only be growing in the future. Oh yeah, absolutely. I do. I do see this trend, uh, you know, getting more and more popular. Uh, I mean, I hear more and more uh, plugin authors who say, "Okay, that's something that we need." Uh, I've given two conference talks on building software as a service with WordPress. I think in uh, uh, in two WordCamps, and uh, you know, there were a ton of people who said, "Yeah, we are also trying to work on that at the moment." And yeah, we've tried, but we had those problems and so on. Additionally, uh, you know, plugins such as Optin Monster in the WordPress space, they have you know migrated to a software as a service approach, and I've seen you know many other examples who have again transitioned to the SaaS approach. Um, I think that a year ago or so, uh, according to the latest stats that I've been seeing, uh, about 60-something percent of the software created in, say, 2016 was actually, you know, software as a service and not downloadable products, which means that over two-thirds of the, the solutions that we get nowadays are hosted products that you need to subscribe for or pay for as an online service as compared to something that you can download and install. So this trend is definitely growing, especially, you know, outside of the WordPress space. Mm. Are there any stats for the WordPress space in particular? I don't think that there are any in the WordPress space for two reasons. First off, it's not as popular at the moment. And second, it's too easy to set up a WordPress website and you know bundle up a few plugins, which is why SaaS hasn't really gained that much traction um, as compared to other platforms that you may need six months to get a generic business website live. Mm. And what's the kind of thinking that goes on? Let's say, you know, I have the RSS aggregator plugin. Mm -hmm. If I come to you and say, what do you think about building a SaaS? Right. What would be our initial thoughts about that? Like, right. whether there is ideal or not, basically? Yes, I do think it is a great idea. And I do think that it can get some traction. Um, the, main, the main reason is that in your case, you do have a ton of data, uh, you know, for a high scale website. So... Uh, let, let's take the following scenario. You have a client that can really benefit from the uh, RSS aggregator, right? And, and can really use it. And it's a feature that, uh, you know, can populate a quasi-fields website or uh, a media network with additional external content or aggregate information between 10 media websites within the same media group, right? But at the same time, aggregating all that information uh, may not be utilized fully which means that uh, out of every 10 or, you know, every 10 posts that you aggregate, you may actually have one or two or three useful for your case, right? So at the end, you end up with, say, 100,000, 200,000 posts in the database. So this thing is going to impact the database for the website. And in the long run, all of the other features that the website provides uh, are going to be impacted due to the, you know, heavy database that the WordPress website has. Again, I'm talking, you know, just, just as a very rough example, but what I'm saying is that since a WordPress website uses the same database for everything, whenever you add a feature that needs a lot more database, a lot more connections for traffic or scripts or styles or whatnot, then 
all of the other features of the website are going to be impacted. At the same time, what you can do with the RPRSS aggregator is provide a hosted solution elsewhere where someone can pay on a monthly basis and only get a script with, uh, you know, or a set of scripts that aggregate specific data that has been accumulated in the remote website. So this way, they're only getting the information they need without really flooding their database with information and maxing their CPU from computations trying to get the right data. Right. So we're already talking about like the kind of ideal scenarios where plugins can or should be converted to SaaS apps. Mm -hmm. So w one of this, as you mentioned, is the load on the CPU and also the, the database storage that yeah. the plugin involves. Mm -hmm. Are there any other aspects that make a plugin ripe to conversion to SaaS? Right. Um, the, the other the other aspect is also security. Um, I do like. Personally, I don't want certain features that I don't I like. I don't have verified to add too much code or you know populate data in my system. And to give you an example, like because I mentioned Optin Monster the other day, uh, well a bit earlier. Sorry, I was doing a research of similar solutions the other day, and I've been verifying a lot of other options from a simple plugin to a very complex plugin to software as a service edition. And I had to kind of think between what are the pros and cons of each scenario, right? A software as a service solution is probably less flexible simply because I can't extend it infinitely. But at the same time, it's something that's hosted outside and you know I can just get the end result. All the computation, all the data, all the storage and everything is remote. And at the same time, uh, I don't feel comfortable adding say 20, 30, 40,000 lines of code written by someone who I don't know and I haven't worked with in an application that should be really secure. Right now, we do have a client in the data government space uh, who's going through security researches from some of the highest end, um, you know, uh, uh, military organizations in the world. And, you know, they're doing penetration testing and everything like that. Uh, several years ago, we were working with banks going through v uh, Verizon security penetration scan tests on WordPress websites in both cases, right? And I really can't afford just installing something that I need functionally wise, uh, but running through all the code that I don't know and getting this code updated, uh, which may conflict with some of my plugins. With a software as a service solution, what you get is a simple script, a script or snippet or iframe or, or uh, a page that's just embedding some code regardless. And that works uh, in a sandbox environment without affecting the rest of your website and the rest of the functionality. Mm, that's a super interesting point. I haven't come across that before. So, so we're talking processing time, database storage and security being the three main points for plugin to SaaS conversions. Right. Uh, with Again, with the caveat that processing time may actually be slower uh, if you deal with just a little data and um, you know, have to do the remote request and mm -hmm. work with a slower server because again, then you may get a slower server abroad that can't really process your information in time. So yeah. this may also impact obviously because it's an external resource. But when we're talking about a lot of data, it's definitely something that's adding up. And personally, for the most part, I would kind of, you know, pass it to a third party server. And uh, so last two weeks ago, I was talking to Bryce from Metric and mm -hmm. I asked him why did you, did you build your SaaS app 
on WordPress or was it something else? And he said the quickest way for him was to build it with uh, Laravel, I believe. And uh, so I was wondering how you make the, made the choice to continue using WordPress even for building SaaS apps. Um, <laughs> that, that's a great question. So first off, I'm really platform agnostic. Um, I've been, I'm Java certified programmer. I'm a security uh, expert certified by Mautu. I've been writing Java, Python, C++, C Sharp, you know, a lot of stuff other than PHP, obviously. Uh, and I, I can see the pros and cons of different platforms. And in, in the context of WordPress, uh, WordPress is a content management system. For a software as a service application, for the most part, you're dealing with content. So if you have content that, that has, you know, a title, a generic description, and probably some fields that are going to be repetitive for all the data, you probably need WordPress. If you have users who have different you know, access control and data, that's already something that WordPress has. Uh, if you want to control that information from a backend, that's already something that WordPress has. And for the most part, there isn't any better alternative uh, for a multi-site environment than WordPress multi-site. The only thing that comes close is Drupal's uh, multi-siting, I forgot the name, which requires copying folders and database tables for each subsite separately. It's really primitive as compared to, to what WordPress has. So whenever you have the, the multi-site concept of WordPress as something that's applicable for your scenario and you need a backend and you need users with different permissions and you need content that's grouped in different categories, WordPress is the obvious choice. Again, sometimes WordPress is not ideal. Sometimes you may get a lot more overhead coming from WordPress for things that you don't use and are not applicable for your application. In this case, WordPress is not a good solution. But whenever, again, you need a backend, you know, just administrative dashboard and stuff like that, you need users, you need different, I would say, post types that are categorized by taxonomies and everything, you already have 90% of that in WordPress. So there is no practical reason that you don't do that. Probably if you pass, you know, over say uh, 100 million views a month, you may reconsider whether some things could be extracted or just detached from WordPress. And again, we are talking SaaS here, so there are smart and reasonable choices to do that without abandoning uh, WordPress. I just had a sales call like a couple of hours ago or something with a client running in WordPress that said, we had 5,000 uh, concurrent visitors uh, you know, simultaneously running in the WordPress install. And they said, do you think about moving away from WordPress? And they said, no, really, we don't think that we're going to do that anytime soon. So again, WordPress can scale, uh, WordPress can solve problems as long as your the infrastructure that WordPress provides corresponds to what you want to build in terms of features. There's no, you know, practical reason to, you know, run away from WordPress. I think that's uh, a very good segue to talk about our probably final point about your contributions to WordPress core and uh, like a bit of feedback about the project in general. I, I'm happy to hear you say that it's it can and it's ideal for some at least aspects of SaaS development and perhaps we'll see WordPress marketed as a tool for SaaS in the future. Uh, I know you're already doing it, but it seems that not many people are doing it so far. Um, but I would like to see your thoughts on you know, how it is to contribute to Core. We've recently had an episode that uh, I think you've heard already mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. where we were a bit critical about the, the way Core sometimes works in terms of uh, 
criticism to new approaches, mm-hmm. hanging on to the past, stuff like that. And based on you know your, your interactions and your uh, your business side of things, what are the things that might be dangerous for WordPress uh, going forward? Uh, yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, so yeah, WordPress isn't as open as it claims to be. I think that's obvious to everyone who's not you know living within the WordPress community itself. It just isn't. Period. Uh, a lot of decisions are not uh, really designing for the major majority or 2080 or whatever we've been discussing lately with uh, some of the latest posts for the editor and for the customizer and for all that stuff. So that's certainly the case. However, uh, you know, there's there's an opportunity to contribute. There's an opportunity to join, um, to, you know, submit book reports, to submit small patches and larger patches and so forth. Um, as long as you're persistent and you are working on the right problems. Uh, what I would say is that, um, you know, one of the, so there are several problems that the WordPress uh, core team has in terms of leadership and, and uh, providing a good roadmap in the long run. Essentially, uh, most contributors who have the time and desire to contribute, they don't know the bigger picture of things. They don't know what WordPress is going to do in, say, two years from now or five years, even if it's not the, 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 you know, the approach that's completely 100% guaranteed. Uh, WordPress is a large enough platform to act as a government, right? Whenever you live somewhere, you want to know the government plan for at least many years ahead, mm-hmm. simply because you don't want to wake up next morning and live in a world that's you know, terrorized or anything other than what you have supported. So given the popularity of WordPress, it it needs a long-term roadmap. Uh, Luckily, I do think that recently there have been changes in that area. Um, For example, Matt has finally given up on releasing three times a year, which I think that, you know, that's great. So right now we are going to release only whenever there's a feature that's actually ready, up and running, instead of launching incomplete releases and postponing features for years. That's uh, that's first. Uh, second, I do think that uh, Morton's idea for telemetry and for getting as much feedback from users is something that should happen and is now happening through Make WordPress Work and um, you know, media websites like, you know, uh, some of the things that you have submitted through WP Mayer and other websites in the industry. Uh, and uh, additionally, you know, some of the ideas for integrating the REST API, and now I really hope that it's going to get more stable, are going to improve the platform as a framework, which is going to get more extensible and allow for other communities to also start contributing to WordPress. All right. Sounds like the future is quite interesting, to say the least. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, Mario, thanks a lot. I don't know if there's anything else that you wanted to mention. If so, go ahead. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, thanks for thanks for having me. I, I can certainly see how we can talk about that in many, many, many hours. But I yeah. think that we can, <laughs> we can sum it up into a shorter frame so that we get a chance to release other episodes later on. For sure. Um, uh, you, we've mentioned a lot of links, which uh, you'll pass on to me after and we'll be linking up. Mm-hmm. And, and to, to finish off, just uh, let our users know where our audience know where they can reach out to you. Uh, 
so they can find me on Twitter. It's no fear ink with underscores, no underscore fear underscore ink. Uh, devwp.eu is my blog where I'm writing most, most of my stuff. And, uh, you know, if you want to learn more about our team, you can go to devrix.com. Awesome. Will you be at WordCamp Europe? Uh, most likely not this year, uh, but I'll see if some of my colleagues are attending this time, simply because we're super overbooked and I'm not sure if we can handle. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Thank you very much, Mario, for being with us today. Thanks for having me. It was a thanks again to mario for being with us today remember we always appreciate reviews on itunes so if you like this show please go ahead and leave a five-star review on itunes and that's it really if you have any questions please email us on podcast at mastermind.fm you can find me at jean galea on twitter or jeangalea.com is my personal blog i'll see you in the next episode thank you for listening bye Thank you.